Uh, well, last summer, my wife and I and, and my two girls, we moved from uh, West Asheville to Hendersonville. All my Hendersonville people. All right. Look, there's trade-offs. The tacos down here aren't nearly as good, nor the donuts, nor a lot of other things. But hey, Hendersonville rocks. Like, we, we absolutely love it. My grandmother lived in Hendersonville for about 45 years, and so it, it's just weird but awesome that I live here now. Um, but one of the things we love about where we live, uh, our particular house, is that after years and years of living in tiny apartments in big cities, we now had, we have space to run around. Our girls are just like, oh, just loving it. We have a playground and some swings. However, like right maybe a day after we moved in, we realized we needed a fence <laughs> because our road is a lot busier than we thought. And uh, so we ordered one up as quick. I, I can't build fences yet. I'm learning. Um, but we had one built. And, you know, so fences, they don't create life, uh, but they protect the life within it. And this summer, we're in a, a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And we're thinking about these commandments, these rules, uh, as sort of like a fence. Now, God had brought his people out of slavery. He would redeem them from Egypt. And he handed them these rules. And I want you to conceive of them this morning as a fence. They don't give life. The Israelites were saved the same way we are, by grace through faith. But they protect the life within and so as we continue in our sermon series on, on these commandments, I want us to be thinking about it this way. So last week, uh, or two weeks ago, Patrick started by thinking about who we worship. The first rung on the fence, as it were, is about who we worship, that God wants us to worship him alone. He alone is worthy of worship, as we just sang. And then last week, you heard him talking about how we worship. God is concerned that we don't minimize him. We don't distort him in worship. We, we want to uh, let him be who he is. Uh, similarly to how he shared that funny illustration of David Beckham and that, and that statue that they built for him that was grotesque, right? And he said, I, you know, basically, this doesn't look anything like me, you know? And uh, so how it, in the ways that we worship, are we, are we being true to who he is? And this is why we read the scriptures, because he has revealed to us who he is. He has told us who he is. This is one of the reasons why we care so much about the Bible, because we want to honor who he says that he is. And this morning, we're going to look at the third commandment. Let's call it the name command, okay? Don't take the Lord's name in vain, or else. Um, it kind of feels like a shift in gears, right? How we worship, who we worship, and then name command. What's that about? It may uh, summon images of Ralphie from the Christmas story chewing on a block of soap that his mom gave him because he didn't say fudge. <laughs> Remember that one? What's this about? And I want to just encourage you to hang with me um, because the name command has a lot less to do with the words that we say and much more to do with how we move through the world. So we're going to look at that in two simple ways this morning this third commandment, what it meant back then, and what it means today. How do we follow it today, but also how did they follow it back then? And with that, I wonder if you might stand just out of respect uh, for a God who speaks to us, 
And let's hear what he has to say to us. London, and joining you all in worship. We're continuing the Ten Commandments series today, and our central text can be found in Deuteronomy 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so first, what did it mean for Israel back then? I just want to hit sort of the refresh button on Deuteronomy, just kind of catch you up. What's this book about? Um, You may remember that in the first five books, God had created the world. Then he created a people. Those people got enslaved. That's sort of the story of Exodus. And then he gives them the commandments. And then they're in the wilderness for 40 years, trying to keep them, but mostly failing. And then they get right on the cusp of the promised land that God had given the promised land in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to make you a people, and I'm going to give you a land. And they're finally on the cusp of entering in Deuteronomy. And Moses sits them down. You know what he does? He preaches a sermon. You're kind of like the people right now. But trust me, it's not going to be nearly as long as uh, Deuteronomy is. I promise. Some of you are like, I'm not so sure. You're a Presbyterian. Um, Okay, so they're on the cusp, and he sits them down. And at this point in chapter 5, he points to the fence. He says, remember what God wants you to do. But he starts, I, want, I brought these first few verses in today for a reason, because I want, us, I want us to sit on something just for a moment before we get into the command itself. Verse 6, he says this, God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So it sort of bears repeating. Patrick has said this so far, but I want to say it again. Before God gives you a commandment, he delivers you. He rescues you. This is how it has always worked. We see it right here. Remember, I brought you up out of the house of Egypt. Now, just like I built a fence after we moved in. God points to the fence after he delivers them. He gives them the rules after he rescues. The rules don't give life, they protect it. Okay, so that said, what's he getting at here? What's his name command about? Let's read it one more time. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Okay, so it's important that we understand what it meant back then because he gives a warning. I won't hold you guiltless if you break it. Up until this last week, I thought I was pretty good at this one. You know, uh, cursing and saying bad words aren't really part of the pastor's job description. Um, So I had a hunch that there might be more to it than this, and I was right. Maybe you did too. It's not just about avoiding certain words that start with God's name. And I reached out to a friend of mine who's doing his PhD in Old Testament at Harvard, and uh, he's kind of a smart guy. And I said, hey, man, what does this mean? And he's like, oh, man, you got to read this book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, her name is Dr. Carmen Imes. She's a professor at Biola University, I believe, in the Old Testament. And she wrote a whole book on just this verse. And I got to read it this week. And it kind of blew apart my simple paradigms. And I'm going to share some of that with you. I wish I could share the whole book with you. But alas, she basically says this is a better translation of the name command than maybe the one we're accustomed to. She writes this, you shall not bear or carry the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who bears or carries his name in vain. It's about bearing his name, carrying it with us. And one of the reasons she translates it this way is because there's another place in Exodus where someone else is bearing a name, the name of Yahweh. It says this in Exodus chapter 28. And here God is instructing his people about the tabernacle and what that's going to be like. And in this particular chapter, he's instructing them on what the high priest should wear as ministers to God on behalf of his people. And I'm going to point to the thing right in the middle. You see the breastplate. There are 12 stones. You can probably guess what they represent. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 names of Israel is inscribed there. And this is what it says in verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So Aaron's brother, or Moses' brother Aaron, becomes the first high priest in Israel, and he literally bears the name of his brothers and sisters to God when he ministers to him on behalf of the people. It's this vivid display of how the priest represented the people to God. It's inscribed. He literally wears his job description on his chest. But not only that, on his headdress, he has this medallion that says this, holy unto the Lord. In other words, he is representing God to the people. He bears God's name to the people, and he bears the people's name to God in this most vivid, colorful way, right? He's a living representation of God to the people and the people to God. So I played on lots of sports teams growing up, and I don't know about you, but I have this reoccurring nightmare. If you played sports, you might have had this before. I have this recurring nightmare that I forgot my jersey at home. And I'm like, I, I can't play. What? And I lost my cleats. I don't know where my cleats are. Anybody else have left your shoes? I even last night, I had a dream 
that I was, this is totally unrelated, I just remembered this. <laughs> I had this dream that I was supposed to lead worship, and I couldn't find my guitar. And I was like, everybody's waiting, literally, you all are looking at me, and I'm like, I don't have my guitar, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, stress dream, I guess. Um, so, when you, wear, when you wear a jersey, it enables the possibility for you to represent your team on the field. You're representing someone besides yourself, someone bigger than yourself. You're representing everybody, maybe your school. But without a jersey, you can't represent your team. Without a high priest, God will not dwell with his people. He says, it's as clear as day, he says, build me a sanctuary that I might dwell in your midst. And in the sanctuary, the high priest ministered. God will not dwell among his sinful people without him because he's too holy and we're too sinful. But with the high priest representing God to Israel and representing Israel to God, God comes to dwell in their midst. But God doesn't leave this holy calling, this priestly calling just to one man. He actually calls the whole nation to be priests. Exodus 19.6 You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, God bore them out of slavery so that we could bear, so that God's people could bear his name to the nations. Just as Aaron represented God to the people and the people to God, the nation was to represent him among the nations through keeping his covenant and through staying in the fence, as it were. So with all that in the background, this is how Carmen Ines, this professor, summarizes the name command. She says, to bear his name in vain would be to enter into this covenant relationship with him, but to live no differently than the surrounding pagans. Israel's fate in the succeeding narratives always comes down to breaking these two commandments, either failing to worship Yahweh alone or failing to represent him well. And you probably know what happened. They failed miserably, right? Moses preached the sermon. They were fired up. They're about to enter the land. And they do okay for a little bit. And it wasn't long until they started to make a name for themselves or try to, rather than bearing the name that had been given to them by grace. They wanted to live like everybody else. That's the reason why. The reason why we try to make a name for ourselves is because everyone else is. And why are they doing that? Why do we do that? Why did the people of old do it? Because they just wanted to belong. They just wanted to fit in, to be noticed. And so the nations wanted kings, and so they wanted one too. The nations worshipped whoever they wanted to, and so they followed suit. They bore God's name in vain. And God made, you know, he made good on his promise to not hold them guiltless and Eventually, they were exiled 
taken out of the promised land. That was then. But what about now? What does it mean for us, 21st century Christians, what does it mean for us to obey this command? Can we do it at all? Let's look at that now. So my wife's namesake uh, is Anne of Green Gables. My, uh, gr- my mother-in-law was reading that book when she was pregnant with Anne, her fourth, and subliminally, subconsciously, I don't know, she said, I want Anne with an E in my family. And so I'm married to Anne with an E. We've actually been reading it uh, together lately. It's super fun. Uh, honestly, recommend it if you're looking for a fun novel. Um, so good. You may have read it. You may have seen the book or, or seen the show or the movie. Um, but you, you may recall that her story begins uh, with her as an orphan. Uh, she has no one to belong to. Um, she doesn't have a home. And by some happy mistake, she, uh, she is picked up by Matthew Cuthbert, who brings her home to Marilla. Marilla is shocked. She wanted a boy. She got a girl. And eventually, uh, there's this scene a few months later. Anne? Yes, Miss Cuthbert? Please come down to the parlor. And Marilla is just fine. What do you mean? You may call me Marilla. Oh. May I call you Aunt Marilla? You may not. Oh, but I'd love to call you Aunt Marilla. It would make me seem as if I really belonged to you. Well, I am not your aunt, and I don't believe in calling people names that don't belong to them. Well, we could imagine you're my aunt. I couldn't. Do you never imagine things are different than they are? I do not. Oh, Marilla, how much you miss. Well, speaking of names... We'd like you to sign this and take ours, if the idea appeals to you. I've got the pen. It's all ready for you. This is your family Bible. You want me to be a Cuthbert? A real Cuthbert? We do. We want our name to belong to you. I'm going to belong. We hope you like the sound of Anne Shirley Cuthbert. Well then, to the Cuthberts. The Cuthberts. And the Shirley Cuthberts. I don't think I've ever been so excited in my whole life. (laughs) Oh, my hands are shaking. (sighs) With this pen, I take you. Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert to be my family forever to call you mine and to be yours for always I didn't bring any tissues, sorry. Um, it's such an awesome story. Like Matthew Cuthbert says to Anne, through faith in Christ, God says to each of us, I want my name to belong to you. 
We are adopted into his family. Just like the, the Jews of old, we, mostly Gentiles, become engrafted into the same family through Christ. We don't bear our name, we bear his. We receive a name. The pressure's off, right? To make a name for ourselves. Friends, our adoption is a very vital part of the gospel. But is it enough? Is it enough to simply know that you've been given a name, the name of Christ, to bear by grace? Most of you in this room have heard that sermon dozens of times. And by the way, we're going to keep preaching it, okay? We're going to keep preaching that you are brought into the family of God by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. We will. Look, I love preaching. I listen to sermons when I, even when I'm not preparing one. I love it. Deuteronomy is one long sermon. Look, the, the role of preaching in the story of redemption is vital. How can people hear, Paul says, without someone telling them? And how can they hear without a preacher? Bearing the good news. Just like then, sermons, theology, they're not enough to keep us from hopping the fence. Jesus tells us as much. John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who had been debilitated his entire life. It was a Sabbath, and so the religious leaders were furious with him. They thought that they should keep the Sabbath holy, which we're going to talk about next week. They didn't believe it was honoring to God to heal someone on the Sabbath. And Jesus says this at the, the end of chapter 5. I want to highlight this. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from, only, from the only God? Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus said this to the most religious, church-going folk of his day. People who knew all the best Tim Keller sermons. My favorite preacher. People who knew all the best theology books. People who knew their Bible much better than we do. And he's preaching to them and saying, it's not enough to get you even Moses' sermons, even my own sermons aren't enough to get you from seeking your own glory to seeking the glory of God. For God to transform us into bold and compassionate priests where we live, where we work, where we play, we need a high priest. In Hebrews 9, it says this, that Jesus, our high priest, secured our redemption from sin and death and then he offered himself to do what? Verse 14. To purify our conscience 
from the dead, from dead self-centered works to serve the living God, to live for another name besides our own. And then Paul similarly says this in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, but wait for it, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He was cursed. He took the penalty of our sins but he sent the Spirit to bring us into the family that we might receive the promise that was promised to Abraham. And what was that promise? That we might be a blessing to all the nations. That we might become a people that is set apart for his glory to minister to the world. Our high priest took the penalty for our not keeping the law, for our butchering this command and every other one. But that's not all he did for you. Through faith, we become part of the family. And through faith in him, we become priests. So yes, you need the sermon. We'll keep preaching it. So keep coming. We need the sermon. We need to be reminded constantly. But we need power too. We need him. We need the high priest to live inside of us. Dallas Willard says this, human problems cannot be solved by human means. Human life can never flourish unless it pulses with the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. But only constant students of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling to be God's person for their time and their place in their world. Constant students of Jesus, not just hearers of sermons. That's part of what it means to be a student of Jesus, to hear his word. But are you with him? He wants to be with you, but are you with him? This is why so many of his disciples throughout history were willing to die for the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, it says, after they declare that there's no other name under heaven and earth to be saved, said, they marveled, the people marveled at him, even the Pharisees, because it says, they had been with him. They had been with Jesus. This is why they could bear the name under fear of death. Because they had been with him. So I'm a fledgling singer-songwriter. And I used to hate being told that I sound like so-and-so. When I was young, it was like Chris Tomlin, David Crowder. Some of you know who that is. I sounded like a goat sometimes. Um, I used to hate that. Now it's like, you sound like Paul McCartney. I'm like, sweet. (laughs) Just kidding. No one says that. Um, I wish. If you want to give me like a birthday card, just put that in the front. You sound like Paul McCartney. Um, you know, I used to hate that because I want to be a snowflake. I want to be unique, right? Don't we all? We want to have a unique sound for the musicians, the artists. But then I realized that I actually can't escape those influences even if I wanted to. 
because they're a part of me. I've spent so much time with them, with the Beatles, with the Beach Boys, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Come on. (laughs) And when I sing, they just come out. works the same way for our representing him in the world. Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is your heart saturated with his presence? With his spirit? Not just good theology, not just your mind saturated with him. Yes, love him with all your mind. But have you been with him so that you just speak love? You just ooze grace and compassion and kindness, and for me, Lord help me, patience. Jesus was a patient man. I'm reminded just now, Henry Nouwen, a priest, Catholic priest, maybe Episcopalian, I can't remember. Anyway, he was a priest. And one day, it dawned on him, after 20 years of being in the priesthood, Someone had interrupted him again. He wanted to work on his sermon. Someone interrupted him. It dawned on him. My whole ministry is a ministry of interruptions. It's not the sermon so much as it is the people. And this is how Jesus, our high priest, thinks about you. Do you think about your neighbors like that? Willingness to set aside your plan for the day a little bit. Set aside your time frame just to listen just to be with them. How much would our world be turned around? When we spend time with him, he will come out in what we do and what we say. It's doctrine and devotion that we need. It's spirit and truth. To live out our priestly calling in the world, our high priest empowers his priests with his spirit. First Peter 2, 9, and I'm almost done. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You. Not just me. Not just Patrick. You. We are a royal priesthood. You're a priest. You know that? Can you say it with me? I'm a priest. I know you've never said that before. It's weird. I've said it. But you haven't, most of you. One more time. I'm a priest. I'm a priest. I'm a priest. Why? Not just because he called you. Not just because he told you to be. Remember, his grace precedes his rules, precedes his commandments. The high priest loved you so much to die for you. The high priest represented you and bore your sins on the cross so that you could represent him in Hendersonville, Mills River, wherever you are. Before I close, just three simple practices. promise they'll go fast, and then we'll pray. How do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light? How do we do that? Just a couple little ideas. If you hop the fence lately, like me, spend time each day with the one who says, I'm the door. And the one who also says, I'm the good shepherd. 
He's the door to the kingdom. He's the good shepherd. He will carry you back by his grace. If you've hopped the fence, let him pick you up. Don't just double down on your religious efforts to try harder. Be better. No, no, no. Give up and say, I can't do it without you. So pick me up. Carry me back. And he will. Second, to to help drive away this fear of not being noticed or not belonging, spend intentional time with other treasured priests. Spend time together. We need, to, we need each other. You need to be reminded that you're, that you're good in Christ. You need to be reminded that you're loved in Christ. You need to be reminded that you've been given a name. So spend time with other people who have been too. You could try one of our gatherings or get out for a hike in the sauna or maybe better yet, get, get some coffee inside or tea. Baseball game. There you go. That was fun on Tuesday. You belong. And finally, remember, you're a priest. You're not a professor and you're not a plumber. Okay? Professors, they kind of have to have the right answer in their line of work. Okay? That's why you pay millions and millions of dollars to go to school to listen to them. (laughs) They're supposed to be experts in their field. You're not a professor, you're a priest. You're also not a plumber. You don't have to fix everybody's stink. That's actually the high priest's job. He alone can save. He alone purifies. We don't. We love and we listen We're priests. We represent him in the world. Your job is to sing his beautiful name because he's so part of you. He's in your soul. He's in your heart by his spirit because of the gospel. And this is why we can bear his name, represent him in our world together. Let's pray. I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to close with the Lord's prayer. Okay, and Part of the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be your name. So remind you of that. And he's why we can do that. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you revealed your name to us. That you are our redeemer. Thank you that you have brought us into your family, brought us into the fold through Christ. The only one who ever in, in, in history that actually kept these commandments perfectly. But not so that we don't have to, but so that through your Spirit, we might be able to with with your grace. And when we fail, pray that we would run to you instead of beat ourselves up. Lord, what a calling we have to represent you. What a gift it is to belong to you. I pray that it would come forth this week. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to listen to you, to sit at your feet. Help us to not think we have it all figured out because we know some theology. We want to know you. And you are a real person. Help us to spend time getting to know you and hearing from you so that when we talk to others and 
interact with our neighbors, that you would come forth because we love you so much. Because, and we love you so much because you first loved us. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.